Welcome to our study of Philippians here on the Radio Bible Course. In chapter 4, verse 4, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Why does Paul repeat the word rejoice? He does it for emphasis. God was working in them, that is, in the Philippians, and their destiny rested on the promise of God, even though they were surrounded by enemies of the cross. Paul's exhortation would turn them to faith in Christ. Now, he didn't tell them to rejoice. He told them to rejoice in the Lord, that is, in who God was and what he had accomplished for them. That's reason for rejoicing. It's empty simply to tell a person to rejoice. Rejoice in what? It's like faith. Some people talk about you ought to have faith. No, we ought not to have faith. We ought to have faith in Christ. Faith must have an object. And our rejoicing needs to have an object also. When you rejoice in men, you'll be disappointed. They'll fail you. They'll fall. But when you rejoice in the Lord, the victory is certain. He won't let you down. Now in verse 5, Paul said, Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. In the authorized version, it uses the word moderation. Now that's fair-mindedness in some translations. It is a call to maintaining a gracious disposition, not just to those in the church, but also to all men. And notice the verse says, Let your moderation be known to all men. This is a reference to men outside the church. He wanted for them to have a graciousness that would restrain them from retaliating against an enemy of the gospel. And he reminds them that the Lord is at hand. That means he's nearby. He sees what's going on. And that suggests that the Lord can vindicate us. We who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ don't have to defend ourselves. When we have opportunity to explain why we believe, we ought to take advantage of that opportunity. But we need not sit in fear, hoping that no one asks us why we believe in the resurrected Jesus Christ. His resurrection is enough reason to believe in him. That proved that he was God's man. And that proved that he is God himself, God the Son. Now, Christ's followers must not be like men of the world, who may be rude, impatient, and unreasonable. God's grace ought to make a change in the way we behave. David wrote in Psalm 18.35, Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy right hand upholds me, and thy gentleness makes me great. Well, we come to verses 6 and 7 where Paul writes, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension or understanding, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, with the context in mind... We should join this passage on prayer to the preceding sentences 
and see it as an answer to anxiety caused by persecution and by the influences of the evil world. If you left a pie in the oven and forgot to turn off the oven, you should have anxiety if you're away from home. Prayer won't help that pie. But a phone call to a neighbor might. Now, if you have not reported income on your tax form and you awaken in the night worrying about it, prayer won't help. If you damaged someone's car in a parking lot and you did not report it or leave your name, you may be suffering from anxiety. And I hope you are. Prayer won't help. Don't ask God to do what you should do and can do. Now keep this in mind when you consider prayer. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20. You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, our study today concerns a divine remedy for Christians in a troubled world. Verses 6 and 7 of chapter 4 of Philippians is a passage that is ideal for plucking, but I don't recommend it. Now, what do we mean by plucking? Plucking is the act of taking something from that to which it is connected. And once it's separated from its environment or context, that plucked item can lose its former relationship and be totally misunderstood. Now, blackberries grow on bushes, as do raspberries. But if you have ever picked mulberries, you'll never forget their context. They grow on trees. Now, what's that got to do with this passage? It's this. The cardinal rule of interpretation is to respect the law of context. A passage means only what its context permits it to mean. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 has been preached countless times. I have heard many sermons which were based on this passage, but I recall none that even hinted at the context. In fairness to the text, we need to consider the context. What in this epistle might be considered to be the cause of anxiety among the believers in Philippi? Well, we saw that there was dissension in the church. That's in verse 2 of this chapter. It's reflected there. And in verse 2, Paul wrote, Do all things without grumbling and disputing, implying practices that needed correcting. In chapter 2, verse 3, he wrote, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. And that suggested a lack of concern for others in the church. These were problems within the church, along with the many persons described as enemies of the cross of Christ. We saw that in chapter 3, verse 18. From outside the church came opposition. Chapter 1 focused on it, and Paul urged them not to be alarmed by their opponents. Would you be anxious after reading... Chapter 1, verse 29, which says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. The context 
is about the faith, the church, and the attitudes of believers in Philippi. They, according to chapter 3, verse 20, were citizens of heaven and were waiting eagerly for the appearance of the Savior, Jesus Christ. How could a sincere believer avoid anxiety in that environment in Philippi? Well, it would be quite difficult. So many people read verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. They apply that to the everyday needs of this life, to material things and to the world. That's not what the context is about. This epistle is concerned with spiritual matters, not business not personal finances, politics, or material things. Yet those are our primary concerns. I suppose it reflects the fact that we are not only in the world, but too many of us also are of the world. We think too little of eternal things. And a cure for this might be memorizing Colossians chapter 3, where Paul writes, If you have been raised with Christ Keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things that are on the earth. In the historical context of dissension in the Philippian church and opposition to the gospel from outside the church, Paul here seems to be seeking to provide a remedy for peace in the heart of the believer. Its source is God, and Paul wants the Philippian Christians to know that God cares. Well, Peter also confirmed this truth in 1 Peter chapter 5 when he wrote, Cast all your anxieties on him, for he cares about you. And what would you guess the context of 1 Peter chapter 5 to be? It's all spiritual. Humbling oneself under God the danger of the adversary, the devil, and suffering for the faith along with eternal glory. It's a spiritual context. Paul's words, be anxious for nothing, address the state of mind that has been distracted by concerns. They were being drawn in different directions, kind of torn apart, and that's the meaning of that Greek word for anxious. Anxiety leads to discouragement, and then it robs us of joy and peace because it distracts us from what we ought to be resting upon. Believers are surrounded by forces of evil, by corruption, and mostly by false doctrine. These things seek to invade the church and to ensnare first one believer and then another. We need to understand that we are in a spiritual warfare, as Ephesians chapter 6 asserts, where Paul wrote, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So we need to be alert, but not anxious. I thank God for men who alerted me to doctrinal dangers. 
They helped me to understand the Bible, and they taught me to trust in God, not in men. Be anxious for nothing. That means don't fall apart with worry. Well, when these problems and anxieties do come, what should we do? Paul gives the advice. Pray. Go to the Lord with it. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let God know about the problem. Some things can only be handled by prayer. Other things can be handled by us, and God expects us to handle those things. But when it comes to changing people, we can't do that. God can. We can pray for Christians. We can pray for Christians to get to some very stubborn people who will not listen to the truth. Prayer is a solution. If you have relatives who do not believe and who won't pay any attention to the Bible, then you can be praying and resting in the fact that God has people that he can lead to those relatives. When the time comes when people will not listen to you and you can do nothing for them, you can worry or you can pray. Christians have been praying for centuries. But not many know how to pray. They ask for things which none of the apostles would have asked for. For this reason, we take the series of lectures on understanding prayer. These four tapes will give you a biblical view of prayer and will enable you to be comfortable and confident when you seek God's help in your life. For information on how to order our tape series on prayer, Right to the Radio Bible Course. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calavota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.